everybody, it's Dave here. Sorry we're a little late today. I had a lot of stuff to do and I just got it together. But to bring it all together even more, I have Darren Campbell on the viewer's left next to me. And we're going to get two old bloggers started. Today, we're talking about the staff, the coaching staff that the unofficial Kevin O'Connell is putting together with Quisi Adolfo Mensa, and it looks to be a good one. Then we're going to ask the question, is O'Connell the next Brad Childress? Do we have a chili on our way? Who knows? And then we get into my favorite subject of all, the big round bellies on the offensive line. Right after the roller. Welcome to Two Old Bloggers, home of news and commentary for your Minnesota Vikings. Hey everybody, it's Dave here again. And first off, I want to thank you all for joining us today. We love it. We're sorry. We're up. I apologize that we're an hour late. That was all on me. Getting ready for the show. On my viewer's left over there is... Darren Campbell of Two Old Bloggers, the second part of the bloggers from Freeding Love in Canada. How are you doing today, Darren? Not bad, Dave. Feeling a little hungover. Uh, had, a, had a few too many beers after the basketball game last night, so slow slow today, slow moving. Well, I'll make up for it because I'm wound up. Three hours of eight. You are. ACDC gets me pumped up to talk Vikings football. And since we're so, going to- question, Dave. What? Yeah, are, are are you are you Bon Scott, ACDC man, or Brian Johnson, ACDC man, or both? Both. I I think the band is outstanding. Uh, what's the meme going around that they have? What thirteen albums that all sound alike, and they go, "No, we're wrong. We have fourteen <laughs> albums that all sound alike." I love them all. It, it's great. It pumps me up. I think it's you know, roll outside the wire, ready to rock and roll. Let's go, type of music for me. That let's go to with this. Definitely. Let's go with this. Absolutely. Show. All right, we have three primary topics, and I have a fourth secret topic at the end. Um. We will start off with you wanted to talk about, as we know, um, here we go, um, Bon Scott <laughs> in there, thunderstruck, Dan, absolutely thunderstruck, doesn't matter, <laughs> um, Bon for Drew, that's cool, um, you sent me a line of themes, and you wanted to talk about how the coaching staff seems to be coming together this week. We have gotten reports all over the interwebs from various reporters that this guy's been selected as this coach, and this guy's been selected as that coach, and this guy's been selected as this coach, and so on and so forth. So we were going to talk about it. This is amazing since the official uh, head coach – Hasn't been announced yet. None of these are official. But it seems like Kevin O'Connell is not only doing his diligence to win the ball game tomorrow in the Super Bowl so we can have a Super Bowl winning head coach, 
but he's also communicating with Quasi to assemble a staff. So let's get into it. Yeah, I wondered, wondered if Sean McVay, how, what he's feeling about I got the, this is the biggest game of my life, and my uh, my uh, offensive coordinator is just all all he cares about is picking his his staff for the for the, the Vikings head coaching gig. But uh, anyway, these are the realities of the, of the NFL. Sometimes, yes, they are. And Skull, everybody that's watching, we appreciate you here. Uh, we love it, absolutely love it. Yes, thanks for showing up. All right, you wanted to start first off. Kevin O'Connell, we're hearing words that he's starting to starting to assemble his staff. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, that the names have been coming in uh, pretty regularly the past few days this week. Yeah, uh, yeah some of the you know Ed Donatel, the defensive coordinator. That's kind of the the big one. Uh, Chris Cooper. Uh, offensive line coach Curtis Modkins, running back coach uh, Chris Rump, defensive line, and Deshay Townsend showed up yesterday as allegedly our, our defensive backs coach. So that the the coaching staff is starting to take shape. We're starting to get a, a feel and an idea of of who the guys are that are going to be uh, helping O'Connell if he is our head coach and it's pretty much assured that he is uh, you know the, the big thing again is uh, everybody was as always concerned about who's going to be the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator right. and we know what the with the OC I heard the, uh, that Wade Phillips son was potentially in there but I, I haven't seen any had any tweets sent out that he is the guy uh, but no uh, but Doogie Wolfson said to watch out that uh he knows for a fact that their agent has been in conversation with the Minnesota Vikings. So that most likely will happen, that we'll get him as the OC. But that has not leaked out yet. No, it has not. Uh, but the, 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 kind of the, the thing that we're noticing with the five names that I have uh, mentioned is that uh, uh, three of them were with the Denver staff, of course, under Vic Fangio, and the other two, Rumpf and Deshae Townsend, mm-hmm. um, had, were with the Bears, uh, either this year or most recently. Rumpf was, was with college, uh, at the college level uh, last year. But uh, so there's a, there's a Fangio-Donatel link there as well. Um, and I think, that, you know, Donatel's a, a, an interesting cat, uh, 65 years old, been coaching for over 40, 31 of those in the NFL, mm-hmm. and um, either been defensive backs coach or a – uh, defensive coordinator during that time had some stints as a as a Packers defensive coordinator from 2000, 2000 to two, two thousand and three under Mike Sherman. Those are we defenses hold that were. In, are we going to hold that against him? Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> no, hey, you know if if we let uh, Brett Favre quarterback for us, you know, and uh, you know, there's you know, what are you going to do? What are you going <laughs> to do? Right, right. can't. That that's almost ancient history. That was like Randy Moss was playing for us back then. But uh, you know, Donatelli's had some high uh, points. He was part of two Super Bowl winning teams with Denver in his first stint there as defensive backs coach. Had some low points in his career. Uh, he got canned along with the whole um, University of Washington staff, which went winless that 
in 2008, I believe. So, uh, you know, it, uh, but he's a lifer. Obviously, Kevin O'Connell, as Mike Zimmer did when he became head coach, uh, the side of the ball, the offensive side of the ball that, that you know, you know he wasn't uh, a, uh, uh, that he wasn't, uh, you know, very familiar with. <laughs> Yeah, that interested in. He chose as his first OC, of course, Norv Turner, very long time, long tenured, experienced coordinator to handle that. And in O'Connell's case, he's taking a very long time, experienced uh, coach to handle the defensive side of the ball, which he's not the expert in. Uh, Is it a good hire or not? Uh, Dave, I think you were maybe not as enthused. I got the sense uh, initially when his name came up. but Denver's defense was pretty good the last two years. It now was. the question will be: the question will be, was that because of Donatel, or was that because of Fangio, or you know, you know is it both? Well, um, the more I'm reading, all right, it it very much looks like, especially with all the candidates that were considered for uh, defensive coordinator, we're moving to a three-four base. So. Very much Donatel takes his key from Fangio. Fangio runs it. Now, it also goes back to Staley, where they run a matched front, what is known as a matched front. And people think 3-4-4-3 and think base, but honestly, we're not in base most of the time. We're in base maybe no. a quarter of the time. So, If that. If that. And so... But what a match base was, and I didn't get to grab the graphics I wanted, is that if there's five guys on the line, there's going to be five defenders on the line as well. And it's all, there was a very, very, very good podcast this week. It was Collar's podcast, and he had Jeremiah Searles on. Mm. And he was explaining the difference between a 3-5 and a 5-3 and a 4-3. And it was basically all where you had there's slight alignment differences, but it's how you have the strong side lined up. And it's the strong side being the side with the tight end. It's whether you put your three tech on that side or you flip flop and put the three tech on the other. And the three tech may not be a three tech in a, and a, a three five. It may be more of a five tech, uh, where Dalvin Tomlinson comes into play, uh, because he can play that position. There is uh it's going to be interesting. And most people think of when they think uh three four defense, defensive ends are generally in a two point stance instead of a three point stance. That's one of the differences, and they may have some pass coverage responsibilities. It's usually uh, flat if they do, mm-hmm. and but we're going to see the different. It's not going to be a whole lot different in what we're used to because a lot of the same concepts Zimmer actually ran. Um, We'll see how the back end comes together, and that will be key. But we need a good linebacker in the middle, one, at least one. If you have one linebacker, you can run a dime, right? Um, Yeah. And we have one right now on the squad in Eric Kendricks. 
there's how they fill in others, whether it be Troy Dye or uh, Chaz Surratt or whoever, we don't know yet. And we'll get into that when we talk linebackers further down the road. But it's going to be, may look slightly different, but it's going to function the same, is what I'm saying, as we're basically used to. It's And the whole idea is to literally match the offensive line so that you have all the holes plugged, except for the backside, which we don't really care about the backside. But the backside is covered if needed be. Um, and it causes problems for the offense on how they do their reads and where they want to attack. And that's the goal. And hopefully he brings, Donatel brings, that top 15, top 10 mentality, preferably, and we shut down people. At least that's my opinion. Yeah, and uh, Dave, those are all very good points. I think that, uh, you know, really Donatel's uh, job, number one, uh, uh, taking offense, I think, is to to turn it into a, a defense that's like a in at least worst case scenario, get it in the middle of the pack. Right. Uh, compared to where it was last year. And now if we get a top 10 defense, you know, that's all, a gravy to me. But really, uh, they got to go from being one of the worst units in the league to somewhere in the middle of the pack, I think. And then, you, you know, what the offense, the talent is there uh, and should be able to perform much better with a much different offensive philosophy and, and better coaching. Um, like we haven't, the Vikings haven't run a 3-4 since 1985. Uh, that's going to be a different look for for us. I, as fans, uh, yes. As fans, um, one there was a tweet that came out from Chris Thomas, and he was talking to Merrick Schlereth, who knows Donatel quite well. And Schlereth said that actually Donatel's three four is really a, a four two nickel disguised as a three four. And uh, it was mentioned earlier that um, that uh, you know you know the Viking we were talking about the Vikings were in a base four three very little in most games. Uh, if if you know an offense is running three or four wide receivers, they're going to a, a four two nickel basically. So like you said, this defense could really be operating a lot like the other one did. What I do like about, what I've always liked about the three, four, even though the Vikings have never run it and haven't run it for almost 40 years is, is I like the confusion. Like yeah. 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 I, uh, back in, that was when they had, uh, that was like, uh, Dolman's fur with the team and he played linebacker and he, he kind of struggled and then they moved him to defensive end. And we all know how that turned out when they went back to the four three, but I've always liked the three, four, because I find, uh, it creates a, I think you were getting at it. That's what you're talking about, about, um, uh, blocking schemes, but I think it creates a lot of confusion mm-hmm. for the offense as far as, you know, who's coming on the blitz, who's rushing, who's not. And um, so I like it. I think it'll be, if they do go three, four, it'll be a, you know, a fresh look. Uh, the question that Ian mentioned a couple of minutes ago in his comment was he doesn't think that our personnel is very good for a three, four. And that is going to be the question, right? It's, like what, uh, how do, we'll get into our that. personnel, our personnel has been built as a four, three. And so, uh, you know, guys like Kenny Willekes, Patrick Jones, the uh, second, even Hunter, like what's his role going to be? We, uh, last week I was talking about how Michael Pierce potentially could be a salary cap casualty, but if you're going to a three, four, 
he seems like the kind of stout run plugging dude you'd stick as your nose. So maybe you, you keep him. Um, There's a lot of uh, the the Vikings defense is there's a lot of roster questions they have to answer and going to a different defensive scheme. uh, I think it creates more of those questions, uh, which will require more of those answers. And Donatel is going to be the one that's, that's going to have to do it. Uh, And, uh, but you know, he's been around the block, like I say, a a long time. So uh, this is nothing new to him. And, He's again worked under one of the best defensive coaches that I think uh, in the NFL, and Dick Fangio. And, yep, and I think his blitz packages are going to be unique, and we shall see. Now, earlier this week, you wanted to talk about Daniil Hunter. How does Daniil Hunter fit? That's I don't know. Uh, like uh, he has not been a guy who's stood up, uh, stood well, he up. He has rushing, a few times, you know. and actually Zimmer liked it. A few times, but but not the the norm. Uh, but I right. kind of think that Daniel Hunter is, uh, you know, he's such a phenomenal athlete, such a phenomenal football player that uh, whatever role you're going to put him in, I think he's going to thrive. We know three, four or four, three, he's going to be getting after the quarterback mm-hmm. and he's not going to be covered. He's not going to be covering slot receivers or tight ends down the field. Um, so uh, I, but you know, the, the first thing is, are the Vikings even keeping him? What are they going to do with him? Are they well, gonna, and you know? Wise just posted if Captain Kirk and the Neil Hunter are traded, are they both, both worth first rounders? Oh, you, you, you better get first round. Definitely on both of them. You better get you better get them first rounders for them, or else you shouldn't be trading them because you, you'd be giving them away. Right. Uh, so yeah. Uh, but yeah, Hunter, Hunter, yeah, that that and the Cousins question is 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 you know the 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 big question the Vikings have to a big roster decision the Vikings have to make that's number one and Daniil Hunter is like 1B on that mm-hmm. roster decision that the, that the Vikings have to make um, and uh, yeah I don't I don't know which way that's going to go I, but like I said uh, last week I want to see Hunter stay in with the Vikings he's too good of a player and creates too much of uh, too many problems for opposing offenses and you're going to have a hard time drafting anybody that would match his production and what you've gotten out of him. And he's still younger than a lot of the top pass rushing defensive ends in the NFL now. Right. Uh, he's so, just starting to enter his prime, and he's already on a yeah. Hall of Fame trajectory. And defensive end is probably the most important position next to the quarterback on the field. If you've got one of those guys that are as good as he is. And, I mean, to me, he's he's – Good enough that you model your defense around him, right? Yeah. To take full advantage of him getting to the quarterback in two and a half seconds or less and causing all sorts of havoc. I think uh, the, the other thing that um, outside of the Donatel, um, the other names that have emerged as as Vikings, uh, as members of the Vikings coaching staff, like Chris Cooper, uh, he learned, he's been under Mike Munchak in Denver the last two years, who's one of the best offensive line coaches in the business. We'll get so to that I like that. When we talk O-line, without a doubt. Yeah, I, 
I like that. Curtis Motkins, uh, as uh, uh, from what I've read, did a great mm-hmm. job developing running backs in Denver the past uh, while he's been there. Whether it's Philip Lindsay uh, and uh, Javante Williams, the, the rookie last year, even even Gordon. So, um, you know, I, I I like those hires. Uh, they, they seem quite promising to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other ones. We have uh, D line coach is Chris Rumpf. Uh, I thought I did an image of him. I don't think I loaded it, however. Um, let's see. D-line. Not seeing it. There we go. Here we go. Chris Rumpf played for Chicago. Or coached for Chicago. Akeem Hicks is a free agent this year, which makes it one mm-hmm. interesting to see if he comes over. And the whole idea about Chris Rump taking over is the the whole Andre Patterson was let go, even though Andre wanted yeah. to stay. And uh, we did have a tweet by um, Daniil Hunter to the fact that he wanted him to stay. And where did I put that? Because I know I loaded it. Um, and I can't find it. Oh, well. Um, he was, a lot of players wanted Andre Patterson to stay. Andre Patterson wanted to stay, but obviously the new regime said, no, see, ya. he signed with the Giants. He's now the coach of the Giants, which would make, if the Vikings do let go of Daniil Hunter, the first place that Daniil looks at, I would think it would be the Giants. But who knows? Chris Rumpf hopefully brings the same sort of deal. Top-notch defensive lineman. If you know, if he could bring the quality of Akeem Hicks and the rest of the Chicago defensive line that gave us fits for years, I'm cool with that. Well, well I did. Akeem's getting a little bit uh, long in the tooth and has had some injury issues the past couple of seasons. I think that he'll be pretty pricey in in free agency. It seems pretty clear he won't be back from Chicago. He's even said that himself during the season. Um, You know, I'd, I'd like to have him on the Vikings because I wouldn't. We wouldn't have to face him anymore because the guys killed us. But uh, but uh, I you know I'm I'm having a hard time seeing that happening cut pierce sign hicks yeah i guess you could do that uh, if the price is right and the, yeah, the vikings like have some pierce. work to work I yeah like we, our haven't, new, we haven't our two nose tackles personally but i think that's, that's yeah but uh i think that uh we, we really haven't got a chance to really see the best of pierce because he opted out in 2020 and he got he was uh, hurt a lot of the time last year uh, with yeah. Uh, various uh, nicks and bruises and, and and stuff. So, yeah, um, I'd like to but see the guy. He in, when he did he play, he seemed effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got, let's see. You talked about working under Munchak. Let me show our new offensive line. Well, we'll get there when we talk offensive line. Um, yeah. Our next topic was, are you wondering, is Kevin O'Connell the next Brad Childress? 
Chili, the name that brings shivers down the spine of most Viking fans, uh, and not in a good way. Uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not asking. Uh, I don't feel like Connell is going to be the, the next Brad Childress, but uh, that, that I've seen the concern expressed by Vikings fans that uh, because O'Connell didn't call has never called the plays as an offensive coordinator and Chile didn't call the plays when he got brought in here to great fanfare back in 2006, that, uh, that somehow that, the you know, we're, we're going to see a repeat of that, of that performance uh, with O'Connell. And I just think that we should really, uh, really need to pump the brakes on that uh, a lot because uh, Sean McVay didn't call the plays in Washington either when he was there as the offensive coordinator, I don't believe uh, gets to LA as a coach. Yeah. yeah, Jay Gruden was calling it. Uh, And um, you know, we see what he's done with the LA Rams since then calling the plays. You got, they've been one of the better offenses in the NFL the whole time he's been there. I don't think that there's any correlation really uh, would, would uh, I feel a little better if, if I'd known O'Connell had been calling the plays the past two years with the way the Rams offense has functioned, which has functioned very well. Sure. But uh, he's still been the OC Heavy involvement in game planning, you know, and that, developing that whole... the plays. Corden McVeigh, he he develops their scheme of what they're doing on the offense, and just McVeigh runs it and calls the plays. Now, and yeah, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter if O'Connell calls the plays or not. Actually, I'd prefer him not to. I'd prefer him mm. to do the head coaching thing and time management and the whole works. Yeah, and have his OC yep. do it. Um, but we don't, you know, we hear that, uh, Wes will be the OC. We don't know yet if I'm cool with that. I'd rather him stay at that CEO level, managing the game more than what Mike did, you know, where his, when his defense was on, he was busy in his card. And when the offense was on, he was busy in his card and talking to his defense on how to stop things versus paying attention to what's going on the field. Yeah. And, uh, so I have no issue with it. And here we show a picture of, you know, who's the quarterback at the time. Kirk Cousins, yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that uh, – that uh, was uh, killed to Childress during his time. It, it wasn't so much like I think the, the play calling stuff, uh, you know, for one, uh, the, the Vikings didn't do a, a really good job for much of his tenure in, uh, in getting, creating, getting talent to, to get an explosive offense. Um, so, you know, even you can call the best plays in the world, but if you, you got people like Robert Ferguson and Bobby Wade as your wide receivers, well, you're going to get what you're going to get. Uh, and if Tavares Jackson is your quarterback, uh, now, uh, but what really killed Childers is that uh, you know he, the players didn't respect him in right. the locker room, and it, it, and he had especially uh, poor after, uh, poor management skills. Especially for after Favre came, and was... so that that was what really killed him. And from what all I've read about O'Connell is that well liked, well regarded by the players that he's worked with, and they you know Cousins was uh, in uh, quoted in the Pro Football Talk. 
he was um, he was interviewed and saying that he felt that he you know he credited said O'Connell's a, a, a bright offensive mind. He did a lot for my development while I was there. I'm excited to 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 play under him. Now there's lots of Viking fans who hope that doesn't happen, <laughs> but <laughs> but the, you know that's another topic that we'll be talking about for probably every show after this one. Uh, but I you know really I feel that well, let's score North not, handle that for now. They're taking all the yeah. Arrows. You know I have no I have no concerns uh, with O'Connell and like I said I, I hope that he takes more of a CEO role. But if he is calling the plays. I am not concerned about that. I don't think that there's a, you know, that he's going to be the next, you know, Brad Childress part two. And you, you could probably go through uh, all kinds of coaches and find lots of examples of guys who never called before who were successful. And you'll also find lots of examples of guys who never played, uh, called plays before and became a head coach who weren't successful like Childress. Uh, but I think, you know, O'Connell, the time will tell. Uh, how that's going to work out for for him if he indeed does call plays. I expect that he probably will because it seems like that's what coaches do these days. You know, that if they're offensive uh, offensive minded, they they call the offensive plays. If they're defensive minded coach, they tend to. I'm curious how many out of the 32 actually call plays. I think it's only about five. Mm. Yeah, that'd but be uh, that's be a good it's, exercise. It's a good. It's a good question is how many actually do call their plays and how many because, uh, delegate it down. I'm just I'm just just looking at the NFC North itself. You got LaFleur calls the offensive plays. Uh Nagy called the offensive plays for the Bears and uh, Zimmer called the defense for the Vikings. The only one that was uh, that didn't uh, but then he did was Dan Campbell. He mm-hmm. took over the offensive play calling from Anthony Lynn at the end of the year. So at least in the NFC North all of the coaches last year were calling the plays on one side of the ball or the other. But yeah, you're right. In an, in another, uh, in another uh, division, it could be totally different. Like, I don't think Matt rule is calling any of the plays for Carolina, but <laughs> well, if, if he does, actually, he's doing a I terrible think, job. Actually, I think he <laughs> took over about halfway through and still did a terrible <laughs> job. Yeah. Um, I don't know. First we have Aaron asked about Deshane, uh, Townsend, Deshae Townsend, and I did a piece of artwork, and I don't have it loaded. It's going to be the new DB coach. Um, mm-hmm. He's going to work with the back end on the defense. C-Wise asked why in Grigson. I think he's just a sounding board, C-Wise. I don't think he's going to have a whole lot of influence other than to bounce questions off of. He's in a senior advisory role. I don't think he has any power. I think he's just a, hey, what did you guys do back in the Stone Age type question answering machine? <laughs> so, yeah, it's a soundboard. It's a, a you know another uh, another head to bounce ideas off of, or you know take advice from. Quasi said again, and when you know the introductory press conference that he was big on getting as much information as he could to make the decisions that he needs to make. Which and, is a uh, smart move. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, you, you know, uh, I think if you look at uh, Drew, who is, I think, still on this call, he he did a, recently had a little post on our Gallahorn site about, uh, you know, Greg's, Grigson's uh, last uh, last few years with the Colts were did not go very well, and maybe uh, that might be a cause for concern. But, again, Grigson has no power over personnel decisions. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, again, I think he's a sounding board for Quasey. Uh, Quasi 
uh, values his input, but doesn't mean he's going to do what Grigson says. And if Quasi thinks that he's got something to offer, I'm good with it. Mm-hmm. And, and hey, it's good. What did you do in the olden days? <laughs> well, well we, used, we used to trade all like, this for a running back. All right. Yeah, thanks. right. <laughs> yeah, we won't be doing that. Yep. <laughs> it's not going to happen now. But and it's, you know, everybody goes through that through their careers. I had it when we'd get, you know, um, the Gulf War started. We started to invade Iraq, and we had a problem with uh, going into a war story. Had We had to get fuel for the U-2 spy plane down to Crete, the island of Crete, so we could fly out of there. And everybody in the command was freaking out. Oh, my God, it's going to take three weeks for the boat to get down there. and We need to fly missions tomorrow. What do we do? And it's just like, I turn around and go, well, it's simple. You load up a specific type of tanker we had that could carry a different fuel in the body tanks. And you fly it down there and you pump it into bladders and then you'll have it. Or you pump airplane to airplane, which we could do. And they're like, oh. That's a good idea. <laughs> right? And it's just like, and I'm talking to colonels and generals, and it's just, mm-hmm, let's do it. If you need anybody that needs, that has experience, I've done it, you know, I'll go, you know, send me TDY, I'll do it. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. And that's what we did. And it's just, maybe Grigson's that sort of guy. You get that once in a blue moon where, how did you do this? And he comes up with an answer that actually works today. Football is cyclic, right? Yeah. We go from one end to the other. And, you know, the whole idea that the 3-4 was invented was to stop the wishbone, or the 4-3 was invented, was to stop the wishbone and the veer offenses. And we've moved from that now to a hybrid styles of defense to stop play action and other things. We will eventually move back. And having the old-time heads, you know, the gray beards, there to say, hey, no, the way we solved that was by doing this. That comes into play, and it is valuable. And I think that's why that happens. Darren needs some H2O. Looking at Tad White today. Hmm. That's the lighting, Aaron, but but you're all right. I do need some H2O, and I am drinking it right now. (laughs) Well, I could bring that up real quick, I think. Camera effects. Here we go. Let's let Darren, boom, and add a little bit of color. That's a little bit too much and a little bit of warm it up. How's that, Aaron? Looks a little better. Um, I don't think O'Connell is going to be a Childress, too. I think Childress was an, I used to say an idiot, but... Uh, close to it. All right. I'm sure he's a nice guy, and I'm sure he and I would get along great, but it's some of the decisions he made while coaching the team drove me crazy. Um, <clears throat> so I don't think that's going to happen. Let's move on to my favorite subject, the big round bellies, offensive line. Offensive line. Your new offensive line coach is this dude. Right there. Not Chris me. 
Cooper. K-U-P-E-R. Cooper. Yes, the uh, uh, he's a former pro NFL lineman himself and uh, been coaching since 2014. NFL lineman. Yeah, not bad. So he's been there and done that. Where did uh, he go to college? I forget. Oh. I forget. Wasn't it, wasn't it North Dakota or something? It's North Dakota. He was the only other player. He was the first player beyond, uh, past Jimmy Kleinsaucer that was selected for the NFL. What position did he play in, the, in college? Was he? Geez, all these uh, trick questions. I think he was. Was he a center? No, he was a tackle. Ah. What position did he play for the Broncos? Uh, guard, I believe. Guard. Yep. He was moved into guard where he became all pro. He's good. The only reason he had, a, I think, an eight year career, and the only reason it didn't last longer was a uh, devastating knee injury, I believe it was. Yeah, and uh, this is a, we. I mentioned it briefly uh, in our first uh, topic that the, he's worked under Mike Munchak, and I th- mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the work Mike Munchak does with offensive lines his whole career. Uh, so if this guy's been uh, the understudy under Munchak, plus he was a hell of a lineman himself, I'm liking what he can do to a Vikings offensive line that, let's face it, has not been very good for a very long time. It hasn't lived and, uh, up to, to potential, to say the least. And Mike Munchak is considered the best offensive lineman in the NFL, and it is good to have his right-hand man. And that's what Cooper is. Indeed. It's, and he's got some work to do um, in our positional uh, our evaluation of the Vikings' different pos- positional units that were going with the offensive line. And uh, like you said, uh, the this line has not performed up to the ex- – you know, hasn't performed up to its draft status in, in a lot of cases. We got two number ones, mm-hmm. two number twos on the line, and then last year we had a seventh rounder thrown in amongst that. But that's some very high, uh, highly drafted players on this line. Uh, you would think that – the draft investments that the Vikings have made on that, uh, that they, the line would be perform would have performed much better than it has, uh, but it, it has not. And I think with the Vikings offensive line, though, really, uh, if you're looking at the tackle position is going to be, that's locked down right now. Right. Barring injury, O'Neal is solid as they come. Darisaw, I think, showed a lot of promise last year. And when he was healthy, I thought he played pretty well, uh, particularly in the, on, the, on the pass protection side of things. Uh, so you're, the Vikings are fine there, barring injury. No worries. Uh, I think they, they got two good building blocks there. Of course, it's in the middle where the problems are. Uh, but Ezra Cleveland, he'll be going into his third year. At uh, starting left guard, I don't think that uh, it's too early to give up on him yet. And he, there has been games where uh, he has played very well. Then mm-hmm. it seems like he has other games where he does not. Uh, I'd like to see more consistency out of him. And then you gotta remember, the, the issue. Offensive linemen don't, <clears throat> don't get it. It usually takes three years 
three or four years before they start to get it and become good. And Ezra Cleveland was good last year. And there was weeks during the season where he led PFFs scoring. He did so well. And there, there's things about Ezra's game I absolutely love, but I'm biased. I was an advocate for Ezra from the get-go. Morris to play from tackle, the get-go. but um, I could deal with him as, as a guard. So I'm happy with that. Now we have problems, though. You're right in the middle. Both at right we guard do. and at center. Right guard and center. Last year you got – Bradbury at your, as your center for most of the year, although he lost his job uh, briefly and then reclaimed it due to uh, Mason Cole getting hurt. And then, so that's one issue, center. And then the other issue is right guard with Ali Udo. Um, you know, you've you got Wyatt Davis there right now. And, and I think uh, really the Vikings' decisions is, are – Again, the tackles are locked up. Cleveland's going to be back at left guard. No questions asked there. Really, the Vikings' decisions are, do we stick with Bradbury at center? And what about right guard? Does Udo is a massive guy. Big, mm-hmm. thick, strong. You'd think he'd be kind of perfect for a guard. But inexperienced there. And I, my opinion was last year, uh, it seemed like he lost, uh, always got out, well, like, like quickness beat him all the time and that caused him to take all those holding penalties that we saw. Him right. Saw, Cause he or a lot beat, of them. And he turned around and he grabbed, grab that, somebody. Yeah. Um, and now I don't know whether that's partly talent. I mean, he's a seventh rounder, uh, not highly, highly uh, drafted or is it talent plus inexperience playing the guard position. And so he's still got a lot to learn, but really I think that uh, I want to, I'd really like to see a Wyatt Davis, Udo fair, uh, 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 like a, a fair position battle there at right guard, let them duke it out and see who wins. And I hope it's Davis who's, uh, you know, I think an all American at Ohio state guy must be pretty good. Well, hopefully um, he comes into camp in shape this year. That was his big knock last year that he was out of shape. And to me, that blows my mind. Your, your whole dream in life is to become a professional football player and you're doing all this training and he did all the training up to the, the combine. And then you take a break, and it's like, uh, makes you wonder. But I do hope he's learned, and he comes in, and he's ready to win the spot. Otherwise, we've got to focus on finding a guard. Now, like I said, most linemen in the NFL don't come into their own until after their third year because it's it's a longer gestation time to become a pro offensive lineman. It's one of the spots that is. And if they do go free agent-wise, I think right guard may be one of the spots that is targeted. But that's just me. I don't know how Quasi views that. I think it would be smart if they did. But, of course, we need money, and that drives us back to the old trope that we're not talking about this week. No, that's right. Uh, the uh, with guard, one thing to keep in mind is there was a um, a comment about free agency, mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, there are some if they get to free agency or not is one question. Sometimes a lot of these guys get extended before they even hit the hit the market. But mm-hmm. uh, Brandon Sheriff is the top 
guard on the market and O'Connell would have uh, pretty good knowledge of him because Sheriff was there in 2017 when O'Connell was in Washington. Uh, but Sheriff's going to be pretty costly. Um, the other he's guy, maybe to keep an eye. Well, yeah, he's 30 and he's had oh, some so injury issues so for sure. But um, Austin, Cor- Austin Corbett, yeah, Austin Corbett uh, is uh, the, the starting right guard for the Rams right now mm-hmm. under O'Connell's offense. And he's slated to hit be an unrestricted free agent uh, going into this offseason, I don't know how the, the Rams value him. Yeah, he's their starting right guard, and the Rams have always, uh, since McVay has been there, have had pretty strong offensive lines. Uh, they don't know if Andrew Whitworth is going to be back next year. The guy is like 58 years old and keeps on playing at a high level. But if Whitford is lost, would they want to risk uh, not re-signing Corbett as well? But uh, Corbett is a guy to keep an eye on because of the Rams' ties, and O'Connell knows him very well. Uh, again, the Vikings have some salary cap issues they got to work on. Um, do they, they, you know, the, the string five, really right guard is an issue at center. Uh, I, I, I feel that the Vikings will bring Badbury back and roll with him again. They could well, re-sign Mason. He so. is, but uh, he lost his job last year, right? Um, I, I don't. I don't think that the Vikings want to uh, give up on him. But it's a whole new coaching staff, whole new administration. We don't know how they feel about any of these players. Um, like Mason Cole, do the Vikings resign him? He's a free agent, and if, if he's the guy that beat out Bradbury, maybe he's kind of a, a your your solution or potential solution to the center position. I don't think that the Vikings, the best college center is Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, uh, by far considered the consensus best center in the draft. But are the Vikings going to pick a center at number 12? Uh, Assuming they uh, know they've got too many other needs, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Centers usually don't get picked that high. And uh, they usually don't have that value. Now, from what I understand from, Talking to the draft experts like Tyler Fornis, Linderbaum is the real deal. He is that generational type. He's got attitude and he's an absolute mauler. But generally, you do not spend that sort of capital on a center in the first round when you can get good centers in round three and four, much less you can find them in two. So I don't know. I like Linderbaum, too. I think the dude's going to absolutely rock it when he gets to the NFL. It's just, unless we have a sudden flourish of number one draft choices that we could use however we wish. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the Vikings, are they've got eight draft picks going into this draft, which is a little bit low for them compared to previous years. They don't have as much draft capital in hand as they normally would. A lot of, like I said, a lot of needs on the defensive side of ball, of the ball, maybe even at quarterback. Uh, so I don't really see them going uh, at offensive line early at all. Uh, maybe a little bit later, they, uh, they always tend to, a lot of teams tend to pick tackles and guards in the sixth and seventh round. And we have three, six rounders. So mm-hmm. you could see off, uh, an offensive lineman getting picked there, but really I think your tackles are set. Your left guard is set for the Vikings. I think that the Vikings are, are going to roll with Bradbury at center for better or for worse. And then a right guard, 
that's where the the only real change in the starting five could be, where potentially you get Wyatt Davis beating out Udo. Uh, and then Udo, the other issue for the Vikings, and it's an issue at a lot of positions, is, is, is depth on the mm-hmm. offensive line. Uh, Rashad Hill probably won't be back. Uh, so Blake Brandle would be maybe Udo would be your swing tackle maybe uh, in that case. And Blake Brandle was like part of the heavy sets a lot more last year. So yeah, I th- maybe they see him as a, as more of a guard guy now than, a, than the tackle he was at Oregon state. Uh, but other than Brandle and, and uh, Udo as your backups, Kyle Hinton, we don't, he's on the roster, but you know, I don't, I don't know if he has a future. Mason Cole is a free agent. Rashad Hill is a free agent. There's a lot of, um, yeah, they, they've got to get some depth there. And I suspect uh, that will come a little bit with some, maybe some low level free agent signings in the off season, plus drafting guys later on day three of the draft. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think the, the Vikings starting five, four of them are going to be pretty similar or going to be the same that you saw last year. It's really a right guard where, Hopefully, hopefully, Wyatt Davis takes over for Udo. Right, and he's ready to take over for Udo. That's the yes. big thing I want. Is That's I want the big, him the to, team. you know, live up to that All-American status at Ohio State and become that, you know, the absolute mauler and dominant right guard. I would love to see that. Now, for offensive scheme philosophy, from what I'm hearing, we plan on staying a lot in the zone blocking scheme, but they're going to be mixing in a lot of power. Power, for those that don't know, is your heads up. It's where the linemen get in their stance, they identify this guy, whatever it is, and the play and the reads determine which one it is, is the guy I'm going to hit. And they go out and they hit him, right? And they try to win that battle. They go out there with the purpose, I'm going to defeat this individual across from me. I'm going to knock him on his butt. I'm going to knock him in at least three yards back, especially if it's a run play. So the offensive line should be under the philosophy we own. If we're running the balls ball, we own, we must get at least three yards, and that's on us. It's nothing what the running back does, right? It's on us to open up that much space. I look forward to that aggressive tilt from what we've had, because before we've been mm-hmm. zone running, which is fine. Zone running works. Yep. But I want I, I want that added little bit of juice of I want to be aggressive. That these linemen are out there, they're they're going to kick their butts no matter what, and they're going to win. And that's what I'm hoping gets brought to the team this season. Yes, for sure, Dave. I think that the I don't know if. Um... Uh, if it's if it's, if it's a common feeling, but the the Vikings offensive line, um, to me in the past few years has been, uh, feel, feel, feels to me that's been a bit soft. Like they're not kind of the kick ass, kind of angry, nasty to play against offensive line that I think that you and I appreciate when offensive line and you know like uh, old uh, Anthony Herrera he used to be one right. of my favorites on the Vikings offensive good. line because because he was just you know you would want to not you didn't want to play against him because he, he was, was like just, a grizzly uh, bear. He, he was played. miserable. He was just boom boom. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna kill you. 
I want to make your yep. mother cry, and I'm going to hit you yes. so hard. Yes, that's the attitude you want. Um, Ian said he's not sure our line is ready for power. I think I think the three we discussed that are good, Darisol, O'Neal, and Ezra Cleveland, I think they could transition to power without any issue. It's the other two that we're worried about, and uh, who knows? But it takes attitude, and I think the new Cooper, having succeeded at that, will bring that. Um, I miss Phil Rauscher going, and he got signed on somewhere like the Jaguars or some place. Um, but I miss, I miss that attitude. The linemen should be, I mean, they're a close-knit clique. They eat together. They, they do everything together. But it should be, and they're gentle giants when you talk to them. But when, it, when they're on the football field, that demeanor changes. They may be quiet, but they don't, you know, they're not quiet when they hit. They hit with aggression and force, and they absolutely need to dominate. And they have that mentality. And then I think, I'm hoping that this year we start to see that and that that grows because once that starts to grow, it becomes infectious. The running backs want to do it. The wide receivers want to do it when they're pass blocking. Uh, The defense on the other side of the ball, the Vikings defense goes, Hey, you know, we can't let those guys, you know, outdo us. And it, and it just snowballs and it snowballs into a hard hitting, you know, black and blue, like the division used to be, type of mentality, and that mentality will win you football games. It will, and uh, not enough of that mentality has been seen by the, the Vikings the past couple of seasons, uh, which we're hoping the new coaching staff can re- reinvigorate the players that are already and going to remain on the roster and uh, also uh, keep the enthusiasm for the, with the, the new guys who do arrive and get them to a higher level of play, particularly the offensive line, which I said uh, you've got some pretty high-drafted individuals on, on that line that are going to be starting for you. It's, uh, uh, you know, it takes time, as you say, uh, typically a lot longer for the offensive linemen to grow into their potential than maybe some other positions, but uh, it's time for this offensive line, the Vikings offensive line with the, the, the guys drafted in the positions that they were to play at the level that you'd expect a number one and number two draft picks to play at. Yep. Without a doubt. Any more on the offensive line you want to hit before we go to the secret fourth? No, I, that is it for the O line. All right. You'll be disappointed, Dave, I'm sure. The fourth topic. Oh, and I did not put up. Hold on. I got one more thing. We didn't talk about Kevin O'Connell. Kevin O'Connell, worried about NFL experience. This is your new head coach. It is. Back up. Didn't have a very (laughs) safe. didn't last long, but oh well. No, it did not. The fourth topic is the absolute travesty that happened this week. Can you tell me why this man, this glorious man right there, was not inducted into the Hall of Fame? I'll tell you why, because 
at least he will get in. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that he will. And uh, I thought that he had a pretty good shot to get in the first time. He, uh, we we had talked about it a few shows ago because uh, Jared Allen was uh, the whole time he was in the NFL, pretty much, uh, other than maybe his rookie year. He was considered one of the best edge rushers in the league. Uh, and he was also a very colorful guy, uh, had, you know, the, the roping, the lasso, mm-hmm. uh, sack dance. And he had a good story uh, very, of overcoming alcoholism yeah. and the whole works. Yep. But, uh, I just, I just felt that, uh, he had a good shot making the, the, make it in the first time because of the fact that he was so well known, even though he played for the Vikings and the chiefs. And then, you know, I think the Seahawks after that for yeah, a cup of coffee, was it the Bears? It the oh, Bears. geez. I, I, I obviously wiped that from my memory. I didn't <laughs> want to see it. Didn't want to even think about it. But uh, but he he was uh, such a quotable guy, well-known for uh, and very colorful, very personable, uh, just very popular with the media. So I thought that would get him a lot of, uh, of uh, brownie points uh, on top of the fact that he should be in anyway. But the reason he didn't get in is because he doesn't have a Super Bowl to his name. I think, you know, that's, that's what it comes down to. That and corruption with the, the writers that vote for these people in. Because the the whole finalist this year, I thought there was better people that were not on the finalist list um, than the ones that were actually, there were better people on the finalist list than the ones that were actually selected. And uh, you are correct. It's lack of Super Bowl. I think if he had that, he would have been there. Um, hopefully next year he will get there. He was iconic. And Dan talked about the half sack. Uh, that's because, you know, the sack record, his was at least legitimate um, and not <laughs> and not Brett Favre laying down. But. Yeah, I did. It's I don't really, uh, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm not going to sweat it. I, I know I'm quite confident Allen will get in the Hall of Fame, but the, and maybe it'll be next year or the year after. I think uh, one of the things with the voters, like you said, the voters kind of look at the finalists, and if there's somebody who's been on the list a long, long time, who's a pretty solid player. Uh, maybe they feel that, well, we'll let him in this year and uh, Jared Allen will get in and, you know, a year, you know, right. two or three years from now, you know, we don't have to worry about that. He doesn't have to get in first time, but when it comes to the playing resume, there's no doubt that Jared Allen's a first time ballot, first ballot hall of famer. But, but like Drew said, uh, it's tough. A lot of very few guys get in, get in the first first time no matter how good they are you have to be like uh, you know a generational goat type thing like a lawrence well, taylor that, or, or, a, or a tom super brady bowls. to get there or, yeah, or get super bowls mm-hmm. yeah and uh, and we're not even going to get started on the jim marshall stuff cliff branch got in and uh-huh. uh, no no offense to cliff branch but uh was he and you know he had some crazy years like that year he'd he had like 41 catches and over a thousand yards. Like his at a 23 yard per catch average, which is crazy, especially back in those days. But was uh, Cliff Branch uh, as good for as long at his position as Jim Marshall was? I don't know. Like, and still Jim Marshall's not in there, and he's never going to get in there. Huh. Maybe he'll get in there when he's deceased. Posthumous. Uh, they seem to seem seem to like to do that, but I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. It's just. That this bit infuriated me this week. 
But it is what it is. So, hey. I want to thank everybody that has joined us today for this wonderful show. And love your comments, Dan, Aaron, Drew, uh, Mr. Emmer, Ian, everybody, anybody I missed, Kevin, thank you. Thank you so much. And if you haven't already, please like, subscribe. Uh, the YouTube loves the algorithm and ring the bell. They ring love the bell. Chat. Uh, we appreciate it so much. And we'll be back in a week to talk even more football. And we should have an official head coach by then. Uh, That's right. But before we go, who do you want to win tomorrow? You know, I want the Bengals to win. Uh, the Rams already have a Super Bowl. And uh, as much as I wish that McVay was the coach of the Vikings, uh, the thought of his smirky, smart-ass, uh, <laughs> fist-pumping down the sidelines, uh, strutting down the sidelines and doing that with a Super Bowl victory, I don't know. I just kind of – I like the, the Bengals' story. Uh, they haven't yet to they, – they haven't won a Super Bowl yet. I'd, I don't know. I'd feel not bad about seeing them get in the club. And Why, uh, uh, just, Joe Burrow, I like his – Underdog approach is sort of the Joe Montana approach because uh, they said the same things about Joe Montana, who was the greatest quarterback ever until Brady. I I like that story too, but I do want to say our next head coach is a Super Bowl winning coach. We shall see. Uh, maybe it might work to the advantage that he loses, and then he has that burn still in him. Um, so, if the if the Bengals do win, uh, though, it will be uh, you know Joe Burrow aside and Jamar Chase aside and and Mixon aside. I think that it'll be the defense that wins it for them, not the offense. So, like the the defense is really the the unsung hero of the Bengals in this this whole season and this play in these playoffs. Because uh, you know, last week they kept them in, they kept them in the game against the Chiefs. If the Chiefs score like another even another touchdown in the second half, mm-hmm. uh, the Bengals don't go to the don't go to the Super Bowl. So, right. uh, you know, really, I think you know the Bengals D is get the thing to really watch. I think the I think the the Bengals will be able to move the ball. They've got too too much uh, talent not to. But uh, can they stop the Rams and possess the to and allow their offense to possess the ball enough? That's going to be, I think, a big big key. But uh, looking well, I forward hope for to an it. exciting game. Now, Super Bowls tend to be very ultra conservative, um, mm-hmm. where they're not exciting and everybody's playing conservative. I hope to see exciting. But we shall see. Rams are favored. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah you got two. Two QBs who have never been there before, but I think that you know Burrow's kind of like he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Whereas Stafford, Stafford, I think is kind of would be more of the concern for me as a Rams fan. Like, how is he going to react in the biggest game of his life? And oh yeah, when he we've seen come out him, and throw five interceptions in a row. Yeah, you know, and three of them for pick sixes. That's Stafford. Yeah. Or he can come out and just you know throw it all over yep. the yard and be great. It's just. Slice and dice, yeah. Uh, we don't know who's going to show up. It's going to be fun to watch. And it's going to be fun to drink and have a good time during the whole time. But be safe. Drink responsibly. Uh, 
Eat your favorite. Don't drink and drive. Yeah. Eat your favorite snacks, foods. If you're having a party, have a, you know, enjoy your friends. The whole works. It's, we only get Super Bowl Sunday once a year. So enjoy it. Uh, Aaron says it's 80 degrees in San Diego. Aaron, up in the San Diego a uh, handful of times. It's a beautiful city. And yes, it's always nice Aaron. in San Diego. Um, Aaron, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing, bad thing about San Diego is the traffic. Just like LA. Um, I've been to San Diego. I loved it. <laughs> well, I had to go from my Hell hotel to work, which was like seven miles away, and it took like 45 minutes, you know, type deal. So, but uh, downtown. And uh, down there where they have the uh, um, convention center and stuff, and they have all the restaurants, that, that's fabulous. It's a wonderful place to visit. And then go to the, the beach and the cliffs and all that. Just fantastic food, fantastic beverage, you know, wonderful people, gorgeous weather. It's, it's a nice place. Water is surprisingly cold there, though. I oh, was yeah. surprised. Pacific. Uh, yeah, I know. With that, what do we say? We say Skull Vikings, baby. Skull, everyone! Thank you for watching or listening. As always, if you like, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. And if you're listening to the podcast, please rate us on your favorite aggregator. Skull, everybody! Skull, everybody!